Uh, pretty good this week, Rachel, pretty good. Let's just dive in. What are we talking about this week? Well, okay, so there's a couple things that I think might be interesting to let people know about, and that is um, some updates to, or I guess maybe, maybe update's not the right word. Maybe it's how to use our website and talk about some resources we put out there that are not just the podcast feed. So, for instance, one thing that um, we just recently released is that I wrote a a blog post. I asked you to to review it and give uh, some edits. So thank you for 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 doing that. But we just released a blog post on the specific language system first approach. Um, it, it occurred to me um, through conversations with some colleagues that I I have done presentations on it. There's podcasts, plenty of podcast episodes about it. There's videos of me discuss, discussing it. There's like I said, live presentations where I've done it with slide decks. There's flowcharts that explain what it might look like. But there was never just just a prose, like, here's what it is written out in an article. And so I had actually written one uh, a while back and just never published it. So um, I thought, okay, let's dust it, dust that sucker off. Let's uh, get uh, some other eyeballs on it to make sure that it's... Um, that it's uh, that it's the way we would want it, and then I put it out as a, as a blog post on our website. So if you go to talkingwithtech.org, at the top there's a link that says blog. You can see that there are actually two posts currently. One talks about some episodes that have AAC users in it, and then there's this blog post that explains the specific language system first approach. Okay. I love the blog. I, I edited it for you, Chris. I feel like you did an amazing job of breaking down these concepts. For our new listeners who are like, what is the specific language first approach? I have no idea what he's talking about. Go. If this is your first episode of listening to the Talking With Tech podcast, you might not know what this is. So my first suggestion is listen to the last couple because it's described really well in the last couple episodes where a school district was thinking about bringing this approach on and they asked me some questions and so I describe it. The second thing that I'll say there too, Rachel, is that I think this actually leads to another strategy for how to use our website. So if you go to our website and you click search, you can type in specific language system first approach or whatever. If you wanted to search motor planning, if you wanted to search aided language stimulation, and it will pull up all of the episodes that have keywords associated with that topic. And so you could build, um, and I think some people do this, a little bit of a, a playlist for yourself. So, okay, this the specific language system first approach, that real quick to answer your question, Rachel, explicitly there, that is the idea that before doing an assessment, you are choosing a tool that is just available to everybody. It's a, we call it a, a tier one tool. It's, and, and then you can always tweak it from there if that's not the right tool or the right fit. And it's the it's a robust language system as opposed to just a handful of core vocabulary words randomly placed on a board. It is a robust language system. So that's the, you know, we're in an elevator together and I've got, you know, 30 seconds to tell you what that is. But if you want the deep dives, well, one, read the article, but two, um, you can go listen to us talk about it in different podcast episodes by doing that, by using what I just said there, doing a search of the podcast and find any topic you're interested in. And I'm just going to add to that. The reason that function works so well, shout out to Luke, who writes all of our show notes for this podcast. Without him, you wouldn't be able to search any of our episodes. So the reason that it's searchable is because he does such a fantastic job 
every week of listening to our episode and writing the show notes, including all the links that we talk about and the tools, all the contact information for the guests we have. So it's really awesome that we now have a website that is so searchable. And I have to tell you, Chris, I'm constantly searching our own website because I'm like, what was that one episode about that one thing? Um, It's super helpful. And Chris and I do a lot of presenting and we are really eager to share episodes of the podcast that support some of the concepts that we're talking about because you know, if I have an hour to do a speaking event, I don't have time to go into detail about motor planning sometimes or, you know, aided language input, core words, but it's really nice to link to episodes where we talk at length about some of those concepts. Um, So for people who are interested in learning more, they have a way to, you know, learn and listen and get more information about specific topics. I just gave to two webinars um, in it for an organization up in Oregon. And that's exactly what my almost every other slide is like, here's a concept. And then down in the bottom, it says, listen to learn. And it links to a podcast episode. And here's the thing about that, Rachel. This is what I'd like in, to invite our listeners to do. You and I do that. We share that. We're the co-hosts of this podcast. There's absolutely no reason you couldn't do that as well. It's just like linking a YouTube video or linking to a research article. You can take the hyperlink, link some text, and say you want a deeper dive into this particular topic? Go listen to what Chris and Rachel or the people that we've interviewed have to say on this particular topic. It gives your presentation that you're doing even more legs, you know? It gives it even more um, substance, and it gives it even more credence to what you're saying. So we're, we invite you to link link to the podcast episodes. Yeah, and I just think it's a really nice way for people to learn. I mean, we've had a lot of people reach out and say, like, I love your podcast. Like, it's so great. Like, I listen to you on my drives and, you know, while I'm cooking and taking walks, you know, with my family or, you know, there's lots of ways to learn. And I feel like what's so nice about the podcast is like, it's just another way to consume information. And Chris and I try to keep it fun while informative. So um, yes, we definitely would invite you to share podcast episodes um, that really resonated and then help again, build out concepts that you're trying to teach. Um, Because I know a lot of AAC specialists out there do a lot of professional development. We're all kind of trying to the best we can to teach people about AAC. And so, yes, we invite you to share our podcast episodes and definitely use that search feature because it's really nice. And like I said, I use it all the time. All the time. Now, speaking of um, teaching people about AAC and doing webinars, well, we have an experience coming up in a couple months. On October 7th and October 8th, we are doing a pre-conference for Closing the Gap. And that pre-conference is called Designing and Delivering Empowering Experiences to Teach Language Using AAC. Rachel, let's talk about it. What, what would, if people were going to come to that, that presentation, what would they experience? Well, one of the things I love about the pre-conferences, Chris, is it's a smaller, more intimate group of people. And so I feel like we leave that pre-conference with some like new AAC besties. I feel like the people we've done pre-conferences with, I'm like, oh, I know you, like we're friends now. (laughs) And so I feel like that's nice because we have the opportunity to really connect with one another. And I feel like in our field, we're kind of always in a silo. It feels like I'm like, you know, always kind of just like the lone soldier talking about AAC. And so it's really nice to have that collective experience. It's a lot of talking about how we can get kids motivated to communicate best practice in AAC. Um, It's really just like a lot of discussion around like how we can be better communication partners. We touch on coaching. There's a ton of information in there that we basically go into more of a deep dive. I feel like one of my challenges when I'm doing any type of speaking event is 
I typically only have like an hour or two hours. And this is just like all of our best stuff, you know, spread out across two days. And I'm just really excited because I feel like we've had such a great experience in the past and super excited that we're going to be presenting this for Closing the Gap. Another strategy there, if you were thinking about uh, maybe attending or if you were maybe thinking, well, you know what? I mean, I listen to Chris and Rachel every week. I don't know necessarily that I need to go and do the, you know, go to a pre-conference. This might be the sort of thing that you share with someone that you work with or you share out on social media with the um, with peers that you collaborate in um, your your professional learning network where you might say, you know, we've been having these discussions. You might really benefit from from this. So we would appreciate you sharing this hyperlink. It's bit.ly slash design AAC. That's where people can go read all about it and then register for the experience. I also want to add, Chris, that you and I are really passionate about creating experiences that you have to be in person to benefit the most from. So if you watch a like recorded session, you're going to feel like, oh my gosh, I missed out because like they're doing so many cool activities and engagement and having such great conversations. Um, so this is definitely not like a sit and get type of situation. It's super interactive. We have tons of activities and What's really exciting as the presenters, I feel like, is we don't really know how it's going to go. It's like it could go off in, you know, one direction based on what everybody in the group is saying they need more guidance with or support. Um, Sometimes, you know, a question will come up and we'll do a little bit more of a deep dive. Um, And so we've kind of created an experience that is really flexible to the group of people that we're working with. If you watch the recorded version, not that there is a recorded version of this, but if there was, you would be like, oh, man, it's just like not as cool because I wasn't there. 100%. The conversations that happen are where a lot of the meat comes from. Um, A lot of the the practical application comes from people talking about their real-life experiences. And then, like you said, we've designed it so that there is this uh, interactive piece is built in so that it's one can happen in an ancillary way, but it's also it can happen in a very structured design way. So again, that website, if you're interested in learning more or if you're wanting to share it, it is bit.ly slash design AAC. Again, bit.ly slash design AAC. So Rachel, let's talk a little bit about something else that we've got going on, and that is this ongoing uh, website that we maintain called Patreon, right? And so the Patreon experience is something that, uh, that we invite people to pay whatever they can per month. We, we ask for um, $8 a month, is, but it really could be less or it could be more. Um, that's just sort of our ballpark, you know, kind of middle of the road, uh, what we're sort of asking. And when people pay for that, what do they get, Rachel? They get so much. At this point, we've had the Patreon for over a year now. And Every week we try to upload some piece of content, whether that's a therapy idea. I'm sharing a lot of my resources that are for sale on my website. I give them to our Patreon members for free. Um, There's behind the scenes, you know, clips of episodes. There's video content. We release some of the content that's eventually going to be released on the podcast. We release it in the Patreon right away. And so if you are super eager to get content that is going to be released, you know, in a few months, um, up front, um, you would definitely enjoy the Patreon and we just try to keep it, um, super practical and there's tons of different ideas on lots of different topics. And at this point, if you join, you literally have like over a year worth of content to go back and to access and to watch and to listen to and resources that, you know, we've shared, 
Um, there's also the Talking With Tech Live, which I would love uh, Chris to get something on the books for another live event because that was so amazing to connect in real time with all of our Patreon members. I just love that experience and I feel like there was just this energy after that, that event. Um, and I just felt super connected to our audience and um, just really grateful too. We have an amazing community of listeners. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. And the Patreon really is a way to keep this podcast afloat. Um, without your financial support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And so we are just super appreciative of, of any type of donation that you can give. Um, we have a team of people that help to make this podcast possible. Uh, Luke, our podcast producer who writes our show notes and posts on social media for us and handles our website. And of course, Michaela is our audio engineer who does a fantastic job of making Chris and I and our guests sound amazing every week. Um, and so we, we really want to support our team and we really appreciate all of our Patreon members. It's just like, it really warms my heart to think that people enjoy this podcast enough to give us $8 a month. Um, and I'm just so grateful for that because again, without that support, we wouldn't be able to do it. So if that sounds intriguing to you, please check it out at patreon.com slash talking with tech. Again, that's patreon.com slash talking with tech. So Rachel, are you ready to hear about the interview today? Yes. Where, where are we going with this interview? So this interview is with Colleen Warren, and Colleen works in New York City. And we talk about um, all sorts of stuff about what uh, practice looks like in, in NYC. Um, but it's really part of our, um, our ongoing effort to talk about diversity and, uh, and look at bringing out um, equity in all the work that we do. And so... Without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Colleen Warren. Great news, everybody. We're going to be presenting a pre-conference workshop for Closing the Gap called Designing and Delivering Empowering Experiences to Teach Language Using AAC. This six-hour virtual workshop takes place over two days, October 7th and 8th, from 1 to 4 p.m. Central Time on each day. This interactive workshop explores strategies for teaching students of all ages language by engineering environments so all communicators have opportunities for rich, meaningful practice in the context of everyday routines. Participants will get to explore how to design experiences using interactive technologies, which empower the student and their support network, putting them on the path to achieve their lifelong language goals. During the workshop, we're going to take an in-depth look at building the skills of communication partners through structured training centered on both consulting and coaching. We'll be sharing the latest tools and strategies for establishing a culture of language learning using AAC. Everybody loves engaging tools. You can sign up now by going to bit.ly slash design AAC. That's bit.ly slash design AAC. Can't wait to see you guys there. Oh, and there's one more thing to mention, Rachel. What's that, Chris? I'm actually doing two pre-conferences on those days. I'll be presenting with the other authors of the new Inclusive Learning 365 book as well. The title of that pre-conference is Inclusive Learning 365, Breaking Down Barriers and Creating a Culture of Inclusivity by Design. 
That pre-conference is also on October 7th and October 8th, 2021, but it will be at 9 to 12 Central Time on those days. If you'd like to learn more about how to redesign educational experiences through an inclusive lens, then you can register for that pre-conference by going to bit.ly slash inclusivectg. That's bit.ly slash inclusivectg. Come spend the whole day with me. See you there. Record on the computer. Um, welcome to the Talking with Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm joined today with Colleen Warren. Am I saying your last name right, Colleen? Yes, you are. Uh, so, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, this is this is the first time I've ever done this. So, <laughs> excellent. Well, we're ha- we're happy that this is your first experience, first of many. I hope. Yes, I hope so too. So, Colleen, you and I don't really know each other that well, but and and that means that there might be people out there in the audience that want to learn more about you. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Um, tell us a little bit about the team you work with, and kind of I don't know, give us kind of a picture of who you are and what you do, and all the people you work with. Sure. Um, so my name is Colleen Warren. I'm a, uh, by trade, I'm a pediatric physical therapist. I've been a pediatric PT for over 20 years, uh, working with early intervention, school age students. Um, and um, I'm also a, a certified yoga teacher for the ch- uh, special child, which works with children with special needs. Um, I love to travel. Um, I love Star Wars. Who doesn't? And I also this is the way, Colleen. This (laughs) This is is the way. way. (laughs) That is correct. This is the way. And um, I also have a I have a daughter, uh, an eight year old daughter with CP, who also is an uh, AAC user. Um, So uh, in addition, I also right now the team that I work for, I work for the New York City Department of Education. Uh, I've actually worked there since I graduated, so it's kind of like where I began my roots as a physical therapist. And I came back as I, I left for a little while and came back as a director for the assistive technology team. Uh, so the team that I, I oversee, we have about 80 people on our team, some amazing people of OTs, PTs, and speech therapists. They're all um, AT specialists that do evaluations, training, and stuff. Um, and we have a really diverse team, I have to say. So, uh, you know, we're really lucky to have that. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. That's a great the kind of foreshadowing into our um, conversation about diversity and equity. But first, I have to ask you, because it seems like a, when any, when it, whenever you meet somebody from a, from a state or from a, um, a particular region, you have to say, well, do you know so-and-so? And New York City, it's kind of like a small place. There's not many people there, so you probably all know each other. Do you know um, Mayor Chris Formosa? Is that oh, yeah, city? of course. Yeah, she's, she's on my team. Yeah, so she's... She's um, one of the supervisors, so I'm actually her boss. <laughs> so gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, Mara Chris, uh, Lindsay Huntley, and Joe Piazza, Joseph Piazza. He just became a supervisor last year, so they are our, they are the supervisors of the AT team, and I'm the director. Yeah, and then being, and then the rest of the team, the rest of the 77 are the uh, the ones that are in the field. They're on the ground. 
So once upon a time, I probably did get to meet you just briefly, if not at, at a conference, but I, I was hired to come out and do a presentation for that particular team. Oh, um, wow. And so it was probably one of those things where you kind of came in and said, hey, hi, happy to be here or happy to have you here. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And then you ran off and did the rest of the work while I did the presentation <laughs> for the day. But like, so I, I, all three of those people that you mentioned, I have, um, great respect for them and the work that they've been doing. And so, so it's so great to meet you too and, and, yes. and dig deeper in. So one of my takeaways from doing that presentation, Colleen, was um, I, I would start to make some suggestions like, well, here's something that works in our neck of the woods. And people would go, yeah, not in New York City. And <laughs> one of the big takeaways that I came from that was um, that New York City is unique in the way that it's diverse there's and that you're doing up meaning for a long time now there's been a large mix of people living in a small concentrated area and as the rest of the country tries to um become more diverse and 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 recognize equity as a, a meaningful goal you know um that seems like something that's been on your radar for a while right that that's that's something that you've been working on so tell us a little bit about that like um what is that if that's been a focus of your work then like why has it been that um how do you define that for people um why is it important just kind of give us the whole spiel there sure sure so yeah equity and diversity are two big um i mean repeated conversations we have in the new york city department of education uh because the new york city uh school system has really the most diverse, I think racially and culturally diverse student population in the country. You know, as you stated, it's a really, it's a small city. I mean, it's not small, it's big, but it's small square footage wise. I and mean, there's a lot of different people. We have families and students from varying countries that have moved here, immigrated here. Um, some students are first generation or they're young transplants from another country. And it's, um, it's something that the Department of Ed overall really is really concerned about making sure every one has equitable access and diversity and etc. So, um, so some of the things that we've been working on and focusing is definitely like looking at you know what what does it mean to provide equity, right? What what are we talking about, you know? And what does you know as you said, what does diverse what does diversity mean, you know? Um, and I think diversity really is that we have such a variety, you know, of different types of different people, different cultures, different languages, different customs, um, just very varying. And that's something to keep in mind when we're working with students and families in such um, in different ways, whether it's just teaching, remote learning, and even, you know, assistive technology. And I think we get more intimate when there's assistive technology. Sometimes we, there's some more intimacy. So it's even more important because we're, we're, we have to really play with that, you know, that line of what their culture is and, and the diversity and et cetera. So the other part is I think being in COVID made it so um, kind of even more apparent because we're now in their homes, you know, whereas before the students came to a school and were mixed in, you know, student may be black or brown, Hispanic or Indian or Egyptian, and um, and they would be in a school mixed in with other students. But now when we're doing remote therapy or remote, you know, type of work, assistive technology work or training, we're in their home with them, you know, with the students because they're at home. So these are 
kind of things that our team, you know, I, I feel like I said, our team's pretty diverse. So we, we have good experience. We're working with that, but we continue building on that. Um, and what, what we, I guess like what we consider equity is really about making sure that students um, are getting the, the technology and support that they need. So my team's concerned about assistive technology, right? So mm -hmm. what my team focuses on is make sure that students, regardless of where they live, what district they're in, what race or culture or gender identity, they're getting the same access to technology and supports that they they should have, right? Regardless of all of that. And um, that's, you know, we want to make sure we're able to do that. Um, and what, what we've done so far is, I guess maybe we'll like go into is what we've done is really, you know, what it means is it doesn't matter where they live, what they look like, um, and everyone should get it efficiently as fast as everyone else. So some, I think some districts sometimes are pushier um, and they may get it sooner and faster versus some districts that don't that have parents that are working three jobs. They're not going to be pushing the schools as hard as a district that's different. And that's sort of what we don't want. We don't want that disparity that just because you're in this district, you're going to get it a little bit slower than the other because the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. uh, so equity really is, it doesn't matter. Everyone should have the same efficiency in getting their devices. So, can we can we dig into a little bit there, Colleen, and let's sure. talk about um, some of the cultural differences. So, for instance, and, and recognizing those. So, like you said, COVID helped, I think, bring us into people's homes more than ever before. And I would imagine some experiences are very welcoming and others are less than that. Um, and certainly that's been our experience in, in my neck of the woods. Um, and part of that, I feel like in a, in a place that in like New York City that is so diverse and has so many different cultures mixing together, um, what are some strategies to you know what's the right you know, like, um, let me put, let me put it a different way. Some cultures, independence is is very highly valued. Yes. Other cultures, independence not so much. You're part of this community. You, why? Why would you want to be independent? That's not you know. We've had we've we've had that conversation before on this podcast with other guests, right? And so I'm, I'm I wonder when you're invited into somebody's home, how you sort of tease out what's the right path to go. So one, you are not making presumptions, and then two, you are respecting their individual cultures. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question, and um, I. I think one of the things our team does is, you know, one of, we, we, we always talk about that when we have meetings that to be, be really vigilant about being open um, and observant and listen and to be open-minded, you know, that understand that the, this culture that this family is having may not understand that AT is support and support is good for independence, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, we've had a family where they want their child to talk, not use a device. The child's now eight right, years old. And they're like, I don't I don't understand. He's going to talk one day. So you have cultures that definitely think that having assistive technology is not right. 
you know, mm -hmm. is work giving them a crutch. You're you're in you're letting them. So, I I think part of it is educating and understanding the parents, meeting them halfway. You know, say okay, we'll only use it for this right now, you know, and because it's not going to be about arguing who's right and who's wrong, you know, and that's definitely what you would avoid. We don't get into this. I'm right. I'm the specialist. I know what I'm saying. You're a parent who doesn't, we, we don't, that is right. completely not the thing, not the way to go. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And so the people couldn't see that, but I pounded my fists together. You end up just, everyone feels frustrated and it becomes a fight and a blame game as opposed yes. to this, um, this, um, I don't know, collaborative experience. Yeah, collab So what, what we've had that's been successful is working with the speech therapist. So if it's an AAC situation, we would work with the speech therapist and say, okay, we'll only for now use it during, let's say in class during group um, circle time or whatever they have in classroom discussion and during a speech therapy session. And then what we would do is document and show the parent, you know, hey, look at how well he's he's doing and continue building on that. I think that's the approach we usually try. And we usually, the, I, that usually works because it's it's working together with the family. I think that's is really listening to why they believe what they believe and going, okay, you know, that's okay. Um, I get it. And and just working with that because we can't fight it. You know, we, we try to educate them and, and show them, I think, how it works and how the you're going to see the improvement you know the speech come and this child's going to be happy i think that's less frustrated so it eventually comes to that so that's kind of one of the approach i always say be open-minded mm -hmm. and and no expectations really you know I, something that has worked in our neck of the woods is is leading with questions and then listen and then mm. authentically listening. You know, I I find that has worked well for for me, um, as opposed to coming in with my agenda and this is what yes. we're going to do. And um, we can slightly move to my agenda because we do yes. have some, you know, in time. But if it starts with okay, what's your biggest problem? Yep. How can we help you solve your biggest problem? Now we can move on to, well, you know, maybe one way to solve that problem. So usually it's centered around behavior, no matter what the culture yes, and what the, yes. um, mm -hmm. uh, um, and so if, so, so let's say it's behavior. Well, what if we did this X, Y, or Z, or how do you think we could resolve this? Um, and by the way, if we teach more language, then the behaviors will go down. Yep. Do you know what Ex I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. It's always oriented up behavior because children and students get frustrated when they're not able to communicate. So they feel unheard. People don't understand them. So yeah, that's definitely, that's awesome to, yeah, I like the way you phrase it, leading with a question, leading, you know. So Colleen, I think there's lots of places around the country, and I certainly my own school district is one, that in the last five to 10 years have 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 moved the needle a little bit when it comes to the conversation of equity from from just general good ideas like like these kind of buzzwords oh we we yes of course we want things to be equitable to to more action steps with with quantitative goals do you know what mm -hmm. i mean like mm -hmm. the, we are we are we're not just saying we want that we're actually doing stuff around that and so that that leads me to a question i, I something that we say on the podcast quite a bit is design with the end in mind like well, okay mm -hmm. so where are we going what 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 would we so that's a question i'm going to lead to you colleen is <laughs> if we were designing with the end in mind 
you know, what does an equitable future really look like? You know, what, what steps have you taken to, and to achieve that? Okay. So one, one of the things that we, we did was um, we get referrals from 32 districts, right? So we service the entire city and we have 32 districts and some districts have as high as 500 referrals in a year. And I have some districts that only have 20. That is a huge gap. The average would be about 120. So I would say what we did was we definitely saw that and we're like, wow. Can I, can I stop you there and sure. just clarify? Because um, a lot of people listening, I think, are going to be speech therapists, teachers. And yes. I think I know what you mean by a referral, but let, let's, let's, see, let's see if we can explain okay, that a little sure. bit. So, so a school district has some sort of problem and they, they contact you and then one of your team or, comes out and brainstorms? Yeah, so what happens is actually the school district, the IEP team at the school, so it could be from the parent or the IEP team, um, usually the student that has an IEP already, would say, hey, I tried all these supports already, whatever it is, OT, uh, SETS provider, IEP teacher, you know, we did the RTI interventions uh, at M M uh, MTSS. And we're at this point that we need more. We need assistive technology. Or the parent may have gone to see a, a doctor or spoke to their neighbor and said, hey, you should try to get them an, uh, uh, this laptop device with co-writer. So they would come in and say, we, need, we have a referral for an assistive technology evaluation. So that's basically what the referral means. Um, and we, some school districts, as I mentioned, we have 32 districts. And some school districts have very high referrals. They refer over 300 in a year. And I have some other districts that refer less than 50 in a year, some as low as like less than 20. So we were like, why? It, I mean, yeah, some districts are bigger than others, but that's a huge, they're like, that's like an outlier disparity. You know, you're running from 500 to like six. So, can I, can I yeah. level the playing field just to make sure, sure I'm clear too? I think across the country, school districts, some places have their own established assistive technology. Like in my neck of the woods, we have 10 people for our district um, okay. that are assistive technology people. So I would see referrals to an outside source being a lot lower because we have, do you feel like that's pretty equal with amongst all your districts is that, yeah, we don't no, have AT team. No, they don't have. We are the AT team. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. We are the AT teams that they don't have one built into their school at all like and that's what we're actually working on that right now we're working on building some school-based support on the, uh, high incidence cases as something that we started this year at uh, building that capacity so no there's no teams like so we are the team so and they basically are very hands-off at you know this is how they're oh at let's let's refer the at team to come in gotcha and, and that's why so those numbers really yep. are equal there's not yes. another necessarily factor Okay. No, no, you know, and it, it's, it's kind of, you know, so that as a result of that, we were like, wow, let's, let's, we have to do something. This is not equitable. And those districts happen to be the lower socioeconomic districts. So those are the districts that are. And just to be clear, you're yeah. saying those districts that are lower in socioeconomic are the ones that are the 22, not the like, Hey, we keep referring all the time. Correct. Like, and yes. we couldn't attribute it to these these districts. Some districts have built capacity. It's just like they didn't even think about these supports. 
And how do we raise their awareness? Correct. They're not exactly, exactly. (laughs) So we identify them and we, we basically are looking at it because these are parents, again, these are the districts where there's a lower socioeconomic status. So the parents are maybe really, they're working three jobs. They may be single parents. They're, they don't have that ability or the bandwidth or the knowledge really to know and push for and ask for assistive technology, right? Mm -hmm. Then it leads to the cycle of the school team because they're not exposed to the ask, don't know anything about it either. What's this assistive tech? Whereas you're coming from a school district that has a lot of referrals from these parents asking for their students, their child to get evaluated. They know what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh yeah, because you, you have to, keep up to match the demand that's coming in to be able to have that conversation. But what we're seeing is these, these districts definitely are not, they're not referring as much It's not because there isn't a need. I'm sure we're sure there's, there's a need and it, it may be just the way it is. It's just that they're not referring. No one's asking for it. They don't know what it is. So what we've done is we started in, I believe in 2019, we started, um, targeting and having like a large PD, like a professional development, um, to talk to the staff that work in these districts. So like school staff, the school-based psychologists, the social worker, the IEP teacher, um, the OTs, the PTs, and the speech therapists, all the people that are interacting with the students and possibly the parents as well, to come in and learn about assistive tech, learn about instructional tech, learn about accessibility features. And we did both a lecture and a hands-on activity. So we set up stations um, and rotated them. You know, it was really cool, but it it was a good experience. It was a lot to feed them in that time, but it was almost like to get get them a taste of it, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, so we did that in 2019. We did it again just before COVID in 2020. So these are large scale. Like I have over 200 like 300 people attending like they're really large so which is good which is what we want um and what we've seen was that little district uh we we tracked the data and after the first one we did um it might have had like six referrals and the next year after that they went up to like 12 or 20 and that's a big increase so it's kind of like something you know that was one way that worked Um, we continue doing more PD as well because we're trying to target. So with other special ed liaisons that work directly with the principals and, and, uh, the assistive uh, principals. So we also provided training to them, um, and also to some of the administrators of special education so that they can support the school. So they are the direct support, uh, the special ed support for the build, like for those schools. Um, so educating them as well and talking to their team. So we, we definitely did a lot of that type of, um, of training. Um, now on top of that, we also created like a, almost like a mini, mini ATIA, uh, where we called it an AT Expo. <laughs> and um, we, we had sessions. Uh, this was open to every provider. So this was open to every district, you know, to come in and learn about AT. We brought in people, speakers and vendors to come in and present. Uh, we had students as keynote speakers and, you know, trying to just spread 
the good word about assistive tech, instructional tech. And um, those are some of the ways I would say that we're continuing and have, you know, worked on trying to bring some equity. Um, Let me ask you, Colleen, now um, a lot of what you described there sounds like stuff you were doing pre-pandemic. Yes. And now the pandemic is hit and um, we're in it now um, at the time of this recording. It's not over yet. No, not over. (laughs) So how has that changed? Uh, I mean, how has your initiative changed? What have you done to pivot and 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 continue to help this wide breadth of people. Yeah, I I actually kind of mentioned it a little bit before. So one of the things we did pivot was really push push for full steam ahead, the high incidence assistive technology school capacity building. So building capacity of assistive technology um, in the schools, directly on the school-based team, like what you had just mentioned, and utilizing and targeting the OTs and the speech therapists and the PTs, whoever work to, to be the ones to say, hey, you, you can be learn a little bit more about some accessibility features and also some other tools that you have access to. You don't need to be in the AT team to access immersive reader. And you know you can get read and write also for free. Um, so and just kind of in, and training them, building that capacity so that the school teams have some level of comfort of hey, I know what this is this student can benefit it and be able to do that on their, at their level, like at their school. So we're working on that. Uh, we've been also working very closely with the occupational therapists. You know, at, um, we just spoke to, I think, three districts that are in the low referring districts of the groups of therapists and saying, hey, you know, having this conversation with them and going to like a part two, which will be some more. So it would be a a remote um, training that we're doing with them and show giving them resources to have access to so that they can be the front line at those at those schools in those districts to be able to um, look at a student and make a recommendation for AT. So it really sounds like you're you're targeting your your audience to instructors, um, yes. meaning related service providers, yes. educators, not, and then that is where the um, the transition will then happen to the families that they serve. Does that yes. sound? Yep. Accurate? Yep. Cool. Yep, that's correct. And are you doing trainings for families at this point too, or not really? It's really focused on just the educators. So right now we're focused on the school staff first. Um, the educators, that's some, I mean, for uh, the educators and the school staff are the first uh, lo- kind of line that we're going to. I eventually would like to provide, I think we've done um, like some more training for parents and inviting them. So that's something I would like to do. Um, there was something else I was t- um, looking at. I know Mar- uh, Mike Moroda offers a, um, a after hours, office hours for families, which is a really good idea. So that's something I have to kind of run by my boss and, and see if we can do that. Because I think that might be really helpful for families. And I, I, I have to discuss how can I target the families in those districts, though, you know, in the districts that, you know, I, 
I know the higher referral districts, those parents will just be up sure eight o'clock. I will be there. Yeah, they're <laughs> so, gonna show up and they have the time but, to, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, they have the time. Exactly. Like they're not, you know, they're not necessarily families that are working, you know, single family raising, you know, their their kids, a large family with like, you know, or whatever it is with um their circumstances are different. They're not holding three jobs or working jobs that have long shifts, you know. I I um and yeah, so that's one of the things I have on my list that I would like to definitely try out is to offer some sort of um, office hours for families after after regular hours, after like in the evenings, you know, to mm -hmm. accommodate their schedule uh, or maybe on the weekend, you know, something like that um, and find a way. Yeah, I got to say, Colleen, we have started to do that more as well. Oh, so okay, pre pandemic, we did a bunch of after school trainings uh, available to families like come and we got a classic, I'm sure you're gonna know, like, like classic, a lot of people to sign up and very few people to show up, you know. Uh... And, it, and we recognize like, well, life is busy, you know, yes. like, like for for everybody, but mm -hmm. uh, um. Um, and there are certain things in different cultures that you don't give up. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we are going to be around the family and have dinner from yep, five to six. Time. It mm -hmm. does not matter that the training is at six o'clock. Do you know what Correct. I mean? Correct. That is in, in, in our world, that's more important than that. Do you know, uh, yep. that'll have lo much lost, much longer lasting legs than going to this hour long training at the school district with people that I don't even know, do you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so even before the pandemic, Colleen, we were like, well, what if we put it online, right? Like more people would sign in, but again, we sort of thought we have this presumption that, well, every Everybody knows technology. They'll just get on the computer. But again, uh, that's kind of a false presumption, right? Uh -huh. But not anymore. Do you know, yes, like, like the pandemic has forced many cultures and many socioeconomic classes to raise their technology skills. Do you yep. know what I mean? Kind of 100%, universally. hundred <laughs> percent. And I, I definitely, I agree with that. And I have to say like, so prior to COVID, there was this, this, there was this grand agenda, not from our department, but from the department of education on technology equity. Meaning, you know, as I mentioned, some districts are one-to-one -one and many districts are not one-to-one -one with devices. This is instructional, um, uh, iPads and stuff like that. So part of what they wanted to do was um, to launch that. COVID pushed it ahead because we're pretty much one-to-one. Uh, -one. Like pretty, I, I I think they're still working on the the last batch to to go out to get out to every student. But that you're right. It actually everyone now has ex pretty much all the families and students have had experience with some sort of technology device and a remote learning platform, um, you know, some sort of classroom, digital classroom, right? Mm -hmm. uh, digital books um, and and video conferencing. So yes, everyone can, so it's good. In our limited training that we've done so far for parents in this, we're like, I have one coming up next week. Okay. Again, we have a lot of people signed up. So we're gonna see if the proof is in the pudding, but will more people show up? Do you know what I mean? Because yes. they, can't, they don't have to leave their house and they can blur their backgrounds yes. and they it, you're not taking away time and you don't have to find a babysitter necessarily do you know Correct. what i mean mm -hmm. it's it, it we, we we are anticipating a greater outcome getting technology at, to people was a barrier in the past and a question that i asked myself colleen is geez when covid hit we had no problem just like solving that problem like, like you said 
same thing, like one-to-one initiatives just popped up everywhere. People have been talking about it and wrestling with it. And then it was just is, you know, yes. and it, same thing with in our neck of the woods, it was hot spots. I don't know if you had to wrestle with the same. Yeah, like, they not- did. Yes. They did the LTE enabled iPads as the hotspots. That's that's, so it was a two and one. Yeah. So the iPads had the, the cell service. So yes, that was also an issue too. <laughs> and then it just makes me wonder like, well, we always had the solution. Like what took us so long to do it? Like it took a pandemic to get us to provide this sort of equitable service to everybody. Like we knew people didn't have internet access. Mm -hmm. Why weren't we doing it before? Do you know? Um, And so I hope that's a lesson we learn is not wait for the next big disaster. You know what I mean? Agreed. To push the, uh, the equity needle forward. Absolutely. Agreed. And, and in ours, in our city, I mean, being really large, we have a lot of students in shelters who have no internet at all. So it's, it was def- definitely one of the driving points as to why they had to get the, the hotspot enabled devices out to those students and those families, you know, so that, um, and because of that, some students are able to um, basically connect their assistive tech to the um, learning, the remote learning device that has the, um, the the cell service to be able to access and stuff and use it together. So it's it's not perfect, but I would say that overall, you know, it's definitely, yeah, it took a pandemic to get everyone equitable access, you know, to some sort of internet here. Colleen, let me ask you this too. Is this this, this similar experience is that um, you had mentioned there were certain technologies that are just sort of uh, accessibility tools. They're built into devices. Um, You had mentioned specifically like immersive reader, which Mm -hmm. is uh, like a feature of many Microsoft products. And they partner with, you know, for people listening that don't know, it's it's on many websites um, that that are kind of, they they partner with many instructional tools to provide this feature. is that something that you've noticed too? Is that um, we you tend to start with the technology that p- family that the teachers have and that they're familiar with, rather than say, well, here's this new technology that you've never or um, I shouldn't say new, but because it might be new to them. But here's this thing that you didn't have access to before. Do you start with that, or do you start with? Here, here's the stuff that's already like in your house or in your computer. You yeah, know? so yeah, we always um start. We always try to start with what you already have to, so that it's it's something that everyone has. Um, is not something different than another student, right? Uh, we always call it the least restrictive approach, you know, so it's, um, so we always start there and there's so many great accessibility built in features into the, the, the three main platforms we use are Microsoft, uh, Google and OS, um, which is a Mac operating system. So, and I, and, um, and iOS, the iPad, so OS slash iOS operating system. So, so on those three platforms, there's so many built-in features into Microsoft Office. You know, as Office 365, the students have access to Immersive Reader. The staff have access to that. Um, they also have access to the Google Classrooms and everything that's built into their dictation, right? Um, also, um, uh, text-to-speech, right? And, um, and on the uh, Apple iPads, you know, which are majority of the uh, remote learning devices the students received across the city, um, they have an iPad. Uh, 
And those have all the built-in accessibility features as well to enlarge the text, right, or spoken content uh, they can use. So sometimes it's just bringing awareness to, to families, students, and staff that these features are there. You actually can use it and, and try it um, and and see if it helps because it helps many people it helps you know it helps students it helps adults you know it helps me I, I enlarge my font <laughs> a little bit so um, yeah so we start there before we kind of move to something more specific or more you know, uh, a different level of technology. Colleen, when we're watching the Mandalorian over and over again, we have the captions on. You know what I, I mean. You you have to have the <laughs> captions on. I was in, I was I was um traveling. I was in Vermont uh, over the weekend. We were watching on Netflix, and I'm fumbling with the remote. Like I need the closed captions on. Like, and it's not my television, so I was like trying to figure it out, and I did, but I it was a struggle. Uh, we use closed captioning you know, all the time. Um, and it's, and that's, that's even just that alone. Sometimes um, I think we had some students that were approaching us and, and saying they, they, they have some hearing issues and they, they usually would get an FM unit, but they're not in the classroom. So how would this work? So we share, like, listen, turn on the closed caption. <laughs> Um, make sure you're wearing headphones. Um, so some strategies to share with families that here, this is stuff you actually have access to, to be able to support your, your child, you know, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me take you back for a second. And sure. let's say um, you're working in one of those districts that has yet to build capacity. You just started in, you okay. know, getting those, the, the occupational therapist, physical therapist, a speech therapist, uh, you're building capacity there. So when the referral comes, your team is maybe either coaching them or starting to, to do yes. that. What is that? look like like what is the when when someone from your team comes in what yeah. do they do and if if we can let me ask that in a again that that sort of multicultural lens like how do i make sure we are selecting and acquiring things that are respectful of the family okay oh that's a that's a good one okay so the the what our the school let's say is working on conducting we're building capacity so school is doing their you know assessment using like the set framework which is something from uh, Joy Zabala um, it's just a way to assess a student you look at the student student their environment and the task and the tools right so we asked the school team to basically do a lot of data gathering use the data you have about the student you know the student better than we do because we're not with the student all the time we're an outside team gather all that data fill out this information use some checklists use some of these modified gpac checklists that we have that were from georgia um they're for the high incidence and also for like writing or reading categories okay and then what happens they reach out to our team they call maricris and maricris will either herself um connect with the school and and it may be the OT and the school psychologist and work with them. Okay, good, you did this. They're reading on this grade level. They're having no trouble with writing, but they have, you know, whatever it is working through it. And we basically were a part of the capacity building is working with the therapist and the school team to say, hey, 
I think Johnny needs something that in which he can have the text read back to him, right? So for them to just say, what is the feature they're looking for? That's basically what it is. Not the tool, not the specific tool, but identify what is it that you think technology that they need to support the student based on what you have found and based on what you know about the student. And then what we do is uh, Maricris or she will assign like a senior mentor, two mentors to work with the team first to go over, okay, maybe let's try this tool. Uh, will they have, you know, will they have internet access? Is internet an issue? So, cause that's going to determine. So um, I think I, we've have some students that cannot have access to internet, right? So their cultural um, situation is they don't use internet. So you would have to find a tool in which it will work not using the internet. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you have to pick the right tool to match that situation. So those are kind of some things is find out, okay, what's the home situation? So finding out from the school, like a little bit of the social background, um, who's going to be supporting them. Um, and, and, you know, is there any issues with internet? Are there limitations, you know, and et cetera. So I would say that's one piece that we would we would have to work in when we're working on fix, you know, picking, picking out the tool. But the the school team is not expected to know all the tools that are out there. You know, like all the um, reading tools or all the writing tools. They just kind of have to give us an idea of what you think, and then our team will work with them and say, hey. I think is probably this and this. And then when they're doing that, they actually get to learn a little bit more about the tool because they're actually, they're it's specific. You know, they're not just mm -hmm. listening to us talk about it now. They're actually involved with uh, so kind of why we're choosing one tool over another tool for, for the student, so. And then I think what leads next is that then they could replicate that for the next student, right? And yes, they ideally, necessarily... <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So would you kind of anticipate the way I, uh, I'm picturing this chart in my head where you're <laughs> like, we see the referrals go up, 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 and now we've built capacity. We see them go down, 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 down um, because they're te there's, there's these people know what they're doing now. They don't need to contact us. Is that yes. like a goal yeah. that you have or am I hey, putting words in your mouth? Yeah, so if the goal is um, to, in, in a sense is have, I think it's kind of, that's part of the goal that would be a result of this. But I think primarily what's driving is more driving this too is to build that capacity for the school teams to be empowered to directly provide some AT support. You know, to be knowledgeable and be comfortable about saying, hey, and for all districts, not just the districts that keep on referring or keep on getting information about assistive technology. Those school districts, actually, they've already been they've already uh, been doing their own assessments. I have a lot. They so they have high referrals. And on top of it, I have several schools in those districts already doing the Hyatt cases, like they've been going about this. So what we really want to see the shift is 
Um, yeah, for those school districts to continue doing that, that's great, right? For those school districts, for the referrals to, for them to handle it on their own, not to have to refer it to us. But in addition, those districts that are not, uh, that previously have no knowledge of the lower referring to be more empowered and know that we're here to support them. Um, whether it's to make a referral, because that's what we said, if you don't feel confident despite all of this, it's okay refer the case to us and let us come in and, and, and show you. Um, the only downside is we're not as, I, I say during COVID now, is that we don't have the hands-on kind of um, interaction. You know, assistive technology is sometimes very hands-on, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's a good way to learn for people who are kinesthetic learners, you know, they like to feel and touch, you know, what you're working with. Um, that's kind of missing. So we do it through Zoom and, you know, control, um, share, screen share and giving control to someone um, to sort of play with it. So, but I, I think our goal is for, for every district, um, every school to have some sort of person in the building that has some comfort of making a recommendation or, a you know, uh, for an assistive technology for their high incidence uh, students cases. And obviously you have a student that comes in that has like cerebral palsy or spinal muscle atrophy that's more access related issues or more complex. Our team is here to to continue to provide that support. So mm -hmm. for some from for some very very specific needs. Yes, right? yeah, very... and different needs, so complex, more more complex needs, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask that selection process that you sort of talked about there. Is it universal? So, and to be specific, there, like this, 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 um, this podcast is related to AAC mostly, <laughs> yes. right? So, does that change at all if we're talking about AAC selection, or is it like no, really, it's the same whether you're thinking of you know a student that has dyslexia and we're coming up with reading supports, or we're talking about AAC. Yes. Yeah, so for, for AAC, I think what we're doing is it really depends, you know, so AAC is a, for us, what we're doing is the speech therapist that works with the student may or may not have AAC experience, right? So if they do not, um, it becomes a little more difficult for the team. So I think our team has to come in and assist them more, whether it's either as a consultation or actually do the assessment with them together, you know? So it it's, um, I, th I think that that is a difference because AAC is a little bit, is a little bit different. There's, they're really, you can't ask like a, a school psychologist, like in um, what so Lindsay says, you know, a school psychologist doesn't, have that language training. Mm -hmm. So um, for, for the students that have um, AAC needs, if they don't have a speech therapist that is very knowledgeable in AAC, we, we still do the assessment. So our team will still come in. Um, we, you know, and, and work with them and develop, you know, and try to work with that speech therapist to develop their skills and provide some training. But we do have some cases in which the speech therapists are very knowledgeable um, and they're very capable. So we do that consultative model with them. They pretty much, you know, do the assessment in a sense and, we consult with them to just help them figure out some of the, you know, the nitty gritty, you know. Totally. It's different levels of support based on their yes. individual personalized needs. Yes, right? correct. That sounds really supportive. 
Thank you. It's it's still a work in progress. So we'll we'll see how it looks. I think next year, you know how how it rolls out, you know. But um, no, it's it's great. We have a great team, and uh, I remember I had such a great time with them. <laughs> um, so let me let me ask you maybe two final questions. So sure. the first one is if you and um, and Colleen, we can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it's it. Okay, yeah. This is so. Let me ask you, Colleen. You mentioned at the very beginning when we were asking like who you are and what you do. You also said that you're like let's let's take off your working hat and put on your mom hat. You you said that you have a child that uses AEC. So can can we talk about that from a little bit? What if you feel comfortable? Sure. What um, what's your experience been like? And tell us a little bit about your daughter. What is what does she use? And how do you? work that into your life with work and everything. I mean, that's something so many people who listen to this podcast are wrestling with, you know? Okay. <laughs> so what's um, your, let's start with the past. How, how did AAC come into your life? So how did AAC come into my life? Personally, yeah, personally, um, working, well, my Zoe, my daughter's name is Zoe. Um, so when she was in early intervention, um, you know, she, she had, and she has cerebral palsy and she's nonverbal. So she has, uh, she, communicates other ways, gestures, you know, contact, eye contact, body movements. Um, and she makes some sounds, uh, but not a lot, you know? So we had great providers in zero to three. And I think I also knew about AAC. Um, so we, I kind of requested an AAC evaluation at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, we started working with I think some simple symbols at home to try uh, working with the speech provider that was there. Um, actually, and I think, you know, it was like, have her be able, I was, remember this, the pediatrician says, you need to make sure she's able to answer yes or no to you. Like, can't, you know, so just to start with that, yes or no. Okay, so we worked on that, you know, and it evolved into getting the assistive technology evaluation for AAC. And I was really disappointed because the lady told me at that time was like, no, Zoe is not ready for, and we, we were going to do eye gaze, of course, because it was an eye gaze evaluation. And um, they were like, no, she's not ready. And she said, you need to work on her having, be able to use low tech first. I'm like, okay. And then I'm a PT. I'm very concrete. Let me explain this to you. You, you didn't understand how hard it was for me to understand AAC. And I it took me years. I mean, she's eight right now. And I've taken your course. I've taken um, your, yours and Rachel's um, and who else? Uh, Sarah Gregory. I've taken a lot of stuff on AAC to understand what core words are because it's just so abstract. It is so abstract that you, you're like, wait, what, so what's the symbol for one? What, what symbol do I use for yes or no? You know, like, how does she know what it means, right? So I started using, I started making my own booklet and made like an eye gaze chart with her. And it had a clear in, in the middle. I used smaller ones, not the giant ones. And I use like those baseball card holders, I think. So we made a few pages. I started with that. Then the next step was to, and I, I, ref, I kind of refused to listen to that lady and I started Good for researching, you. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> I, I started researching on parent groups for, uh, for children with cerebral palsy, what AAC app is good for kids with CP. So 
Proloquo is too hard. That was a very popular one. We looked at one of the old ones from uh, to Toby Dynavox. I forget. Sonic's, uh, Sonic Flex or something? Uh-huh. Sonoflex. So mm -hmm. Sonoflex, yeah. I, I got, and it's free. I downloaded it. I was like, okay, no. It's a little too hard for her. It's too small. Touch chat. HD. Wasn't too expensive. It was affordable. This is all me just doing this on my own. Um, so I got her on touch chat and created, looked online with parent support and started there. I created her own page. We started with basic things like I want, you know, phrase base. Um, and we were driven, you know, we, we focus on things that she likes, right? Movies, Disney movies, Disney, anything, Disney princesses, Disney movies, you know, I want to play with a ball. I want to read a book. Um, and then we added things like, you know, I need to be, she has a trachea, she has a tracheostomy too. So I need to be suction. I need to be changed. I want to lay down. So we built, we built up and she had, she was able to navigate through pages. Like we added on. So she used the touch chat for a few years. Um, and then we got, I, I pushed, we met a, um, her speech therapist at her school uh, were interested in trying to eye gaze. So that's what happened. So I contacted Toby Dynavox, the rep. I did it on my own as a forget chop. So we worked with the speech therapist at the school, got Toby to trial it with her. And now she has an I-12 and she uses communicator. Uh, she used to use both. So she used to use the touch chat at home because um, it was most, the eye gaze was school most of the time. And um, she used touch chat at home and she used her eye gaze at, at you know, at school. And um, I also have AbleNet buttons for her that she could press to communicate as well. Like we use everything. We're not like exclusive, you know, but, She's in, she's using it. She's using communicator. We have a classroom board, but she also has a, um, a higher, like a board where she's learning to put sentences together. So there's less, it's not phrase-based, it's more core words and we're learning uh, to use it. And from, I don't know if it was your session or something, we started uh, using, using her eye gaze during playing games. I, I remember one of the sessions I went at Closing the Gap, I'm like, oh my God, that's such a great idea. So to have her play games, um, you know, with it, like my turn, your turn, modeling, and she goes saying, I like, you know, you go. So, so that's kind of where we're at is this crazy journey of, of, of AAC. So like, I, I get how difficult it is to explain, you know, but I'm still learning and, um, I, I get the core words now <laughs> in French vocabulary when I didn't get it in the beginning. Well, you so. know, I, that's, um, that's something that has been reinforced with me doing the podcast now for a number of years is that every functional user of AAC that I get to talk to on this podcast, or I get to talk to outside of this, I, it, they've either said it to me or I've seen them do it where there is, it's truly an AAC system. So when we say the word system, so many people think, you know, 
prolo quo. They think, you know, uh, communicator, you know, as the system, but really the system, that's one component to the larger system in the same way that someone who's speaking might, um, or anyone really uses multiple technologies to get the task done. You know, sometimes I use a laptop and sometimes I use my phone and sometimes I use a paper and pen depending on the task. Well, depending on what I'm communicating and with my situation, I might use those AbleNet buttons or I might use my go back to touch chat because I'm yep. familiar with that. And in this moment, that's what's going to work best for me. Um, or sometimes I'm going to use my communicator, maybe permins- pr- principally or um, maybe primarily I'll use yes. this, but I'm still going to use this because that's my whole system, man. Don't take it away. Embrace it, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's great. and And like, yeah, it, it's it was weird because I know when I first started, I kind of thought she had to use just one. Like you only can use the eye gaze, and I think it was um I don't know who it was. Someone said to me, "You have to allow them to use every which way." You do yes or no like this. We even do that sometimes. We give her choices with the hand. So this is one thing, and this is another, and she will tap that one. She will also smile as a affirmation of that's the right choice or the right answer, or she'll give you a dirty look mm-hmm. and say no way. Um, the, the funniest thing I have to share is that she um, she kicks me out of her speech therapy sessions with her remote uh, speech therapy session with her speech therapist. Um, she used to have a, a, uh, this therapist that she really is a male therapist and she really enjoyed working with him. And she used to just like give me dirty looks or throw herself and like, basically I have to walk out. I can't be in there while she's having session. So she's built up her ability to say to now you go. And then she looks at me, she uses her eye gaze, go, you go. And then she looks at me and I'm like, okay. So now she can say, which was recent. I like you go. I'm like, okay, bye, honey. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, I'll leave. Absolutely. I'm <laughs> I must oblige. I, I must. So it's it is really um it's really it's really fun to be on this end, you know. And and uh, she and it's funny. She she also does yoga with a speech um a yoga instructor. She won't use any AAC with that person. She doesn't want to. So it's very interesting. I, I kind of find that she prefers their body language communication she has. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that's definitely one thing I've learned is however she wants to communicate is is the way and it's okay. Yeah. It's her choice. It's her life. Right. So yeah, that makes total sense to me. And that is something else I've learned from this podcast is that, that, that code switching is very real from person to person where I might use more of a certain type of tool with this person. And that often is, has to do with the person as well. Like imagine going to a yoga instructor that new AAC and was modeling it all the time. Maybe the outcome would be different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, true. Imagine it was yoga, yoga AAC, you know, <laughs> or AAC yoga. The, maybe there'd be a different comfort level, but hey, you know what? I, I just want to kind of move my body and no one else is using the AAC in here, you know? So um, that makes a lot of sense to me. So let me wrap up with this kind of final question. Sure. I kind of like to think about the future and some of like, you know, someone who is, um, multifaceted here with both the um your pt experience and your administration experience and working with a diverse team in new york city and having a family member <laughs> uh, your own child 
what's your sort of I wonder when it comes to AAC? Like what 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 are you kind of questing after? What are you thinking about? What's kind of got you like, you know, I can't fall asleep because I'm kind of wondering about this, you know? I, I like to think about that as an educators is that we're kind of constantly questing for kind of what's the next thing we're curious about. And I'm just curious what's got you curious. So, so I guess that there's two. Um, I think one of them was I was wondering, which is related to the culture of diversity, was more um, diverse voices. So I've seen more diversity in the AAC symbols with skin color and stuff, which is awesome. I'm so happy to see that. But I'm curious if there's more uh, diverse voices, you know, uh, or even the way. Um, I know like they're Spanish or French speaking, you know, voices, but it, I just wonder if there's even a more diversity in, in that or someone that's speaking with more of like, like a Haitian accent versus an Indian, like a Hindi accent voice, blending their voice, you know, building. I would like to see that mm -hmm. in the AAC world, you know, maybe more diversity in voice, different types of voices. And then the other one is this. So my daughter um, is... These devices, so sometimes the only bad thing is the eye gaze is large. <laughs> and it kind of impedes uh, if she has a, you know, she's working on a power wheelchair driving, it really impedes on her ability to kind of drive and see. So it's kind of like it's one or the other, you know? So I kind of, I wonder if the AAC world um, of making these high-tech devices, that group of people will think about um, this magical way of, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Making that a little more compatible. Let's make it that way. <laughs> Power, well, mobility, and uh AAC use. <laughs> Colleen, I got to say, I think that those are noble questions to ask. And I think there are people working on them. In fact, you know, um, I think there are people working on brain interface, you know, and so that oh, we're controlling the communication right. device okay. with, with our, with our neural pathways, you know, our brain waves, um, which I could see, you know, in the same respect that um, I can talk and I can drive a car at the same time, you know, yes. um, and those are maybe two, I'm activating two different parts of my brain when I'm doing those same tasks, that maybe there's some possibilities there. So that does not sound like science fiction to me. That sounds that's like exciting. science future, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's exciting. So I'm excited to see, you know, and we're very, I'm lucky that my daughter is in this time, a, born, you know, around this time that she has access to more developing technology and, you know, so that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> well, Colleen, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast and spending sure. this time with us and for all you do and for um, sharing the, the experiences of your team. That's really, I think it's going to be help a lot of people kind of help themselves come up with goals for themselves, um, either for themselves, their own practice or for the teams they work with. So thank you so much. All right. Sure. No, very, you're very welcome. And thank you for having me. This was, this was fun. <laughs> All right. Until next time, I'm yes. Chris with Talking With Tech with Colleen Warren, and we'll see you, we'll see you later. Okay. Bye. bye. See you later.